Heavenly Father, we expect nothing else tonight than that you will speak to us. Why? Because you have promised to speak through your word by your spirit. Lord, we're expecting tonight to hear from you. We're expecting tonight to be encouraged by you. And we're expecting tonight to to see more clearly who Jesus is and what he is doing and be delighted in him. Oh Lord, show us Jesus tonight. Help us grasp what it means that he is our high priest in heaven. And would that bring us comfort and joy and hope and peace and delight. Oh, speaking God, speak to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What is Jesus doing now? There's a question for you. What is Jesus doing right now, this very second? Have you ever thought about that question? It's interesting, isn't it? At Christmas, we celebrate that that God the Son took on flesh and was born in a human body in Bethlehem. Then on Good Friday, we celebrate that Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh, was crucified on the cross, that he had nails driven into his hands, that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Then on Easter Sunday, we celebrate that Jesus in his bodily form rose from the dead, still bearing the scars of his crucifixion. You remember, don't you, that Thomas, he doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead, but yet when Jesus appeared to him, Thomas put his hand in Jesus' side and he he saw the wounds in his hands and his feet. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then we don't really celebrate it, but we know that Jesus then ascended to the right hand of the Father, don't we? We read it in Acts last week in the morning. His disciples were with him. He was on the Mount of Olives and a cloud came down and in his body with his scars still in his hands and the wound in his side, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. We know all that. We know what Jesus did. But what's he doing now? Have you ever thought about that question? You see, it's been a long time since Jesus ascended to heaven, isn't it? 2,000 years and counting. That is a long, long time. And we know that he's going to come back one day to wrap up history, to judge the living and the dead, to, to, to make this new creation. But what is he doing now? Have you ever thought about that? My guess is that some of us haven't really thought about that question. And if we have thought about it, my guess is that many of us haven't thought about it very much. In fact, my guess is that subconsciously, somewhere at the back of our mind, we might even think that right now Jesus is just having a bit of a rest. You know, he he came to earth, he lived the perfect life, he died the perfect death, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, he's going to come back one day to judge the living and the dead, and in between, in our minds, well, he's, he's just having a wee lie down. He's just resting. He's like an actor who appears in act one of a play and isn't on again till the finale. He's just resting somewhere in the backdrop, somewhere backstage, waiting to come again to earth. But here's the thing. Jesus is not resting. Jesus is not lying back in heaven just waiting for his return. No, what the Bible tells us is that Jesus is actually doing a number of things. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that right now, In heaven, 
Jesus is serving as our high priest. Right now, in heaven, Jesus is serving as our high priest. And we see this in Hebrews 4.14. Let me read what it says there. The writer of Hebrews, writing to Christians from a Jewish background, says this. We have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. We have a great high priest. He says, we do. You and I, those of us who are Christians, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. And notice it's the words have, it's present tense. We have right now a great high priest. This very instant, right now, we have a great high priest. And where is he? He ascended into heaven. He's in heaven. And who is he? He is Jesus, the Son of God. What has Jesus been doing for the past 2,000 years? He's been serving in heaven as the high priest for his people. What is Jesus doing right now, this second? He's serving in heaven as the high priest for you and for me and for us. Now let me ask you a question. And I want you to be really, really honest about it. How does it make you feel knowing that Jesus is your high priest in heaven right now? You don't need to say it out loud. But how does that make you feel? What does it mean to you that Jesus right now is your high priest in heaven? My guess, it probably doesn't mean very much to you. My guess is that that right now, you know that it should mean something to you, but it doesn't really mean anything at all. The thought right now of Jesus being your high priest in heaven, it probably doesn't excite you or thrill you very much. Looking at your faces, I don't think it does. It probably doesn't delight you very much. Maybe tonight, as you hear that Jesus right now is your high priest in heaven, maybe it means very, very little to you. In fact, maybe it means nothing at all. Why is that? Well, there's a very good reason. The reason I think we don't get excited by this, the reason this doesn't thrill us, the reason why we're not all delighting in the fact that Jesus is our high priest in heaven is because we're not really sure what that means, are we? Could we really tell you what it means that Jesus is our high priest in heaven? I don't think we could. There are no high priests today, are there? There haven't been high priests for over 2,000 years when the temple was destroyed. And so because there's no high priests today, my guess is that most of us have very little idea what a high priest is and why it's good news that Jesus is our high priest. Well, tonight, I'm hoping that's going to change. Tonight, I'm hoping that as we look at the high priest in the book of Leviticus, and as we see what he did, see, we see what Jesus is doing right now, we will actually come to be delighted that Jesus is our high priest. My hope is tonight that not only do we understand what Jesus is doing in heaven for us right now, but that we become glad of it, delighted by it, thrilled by it, that it brings us joy and assurance and hope. So that's my hope tonight. I don't know if we'll get there, but we're going to have a go. To get our heads around what it means then that Jesus is our high priest in heaven, the, the first question we need to ask tonight is a very general one. What was a high priest? And whenever I think of priests, the, the first thing that comes into my mind are Roman Catholic priests. 
with their black shirts and their white collars. And then whenever I think of the, the kind of the most important priest, I think of the Pope. But in the Bible, whenever we read about priests, we're never reading about Roman Catholic priests. Roman Catholic priests are nowhere in the scriptures. No, in the Bible, whenever we read about priests, we're reading about Jewish priests. And in the book of Leviticus, what we see is that priests were responsible for the tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle from a few weeks ago? It was the portable structure, which had the three sections. It had the courtyard where the sacrifices were made. Then it had the holy place where there's the altar of incense and the incense was burned to represent the prayers going into the Holy of Holies. And then there was the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. And only the high priest could go in there once a year. Well, well the, the tabernacle was a very, very busy place. Every day there were sacrifices being made and, and there was lots going on there. And the priest's job was to look after the tabernacle to offer the sacrifices, to make sure that the wood was burning, to make sure that the incense was ready, to do everything associated with the tabernacle. That was their job. They were the ones who made sure that God was worshipped as he commanded that he should be worshipped. But within the priests, there was the most important priest, the high priest. And the first ever high priest was Aaron, or Aaron, depending how you pronounce it. You've got his namesake over here tonight. You'll be listening well, Aaron, tonight. And, and he was the high priest of God's people. He was the most important priest. And there were a number of things that made him most important. One of the things that made him most important was that he had a, a very important responsibility, one that none of the other priests had. And we're going to look at that responsibility in a minute. But not only did he have the most important responsibility, he also had at least two jobs that only he was allowed to do. So the most important responsibility the high priest had and two jobs only he could do. So what was his responsibility? What was his responsibility that he had that the other priests didn't have? His responsibility was to represent God's people to God. Um, I know that our assistant minister is barred from a a hotel in Cork, and maybe he needed, should have needed a lawyer. I have never needed a lawyer. I've never been in trouble like that. Um, but if I did need a lawyer, what would that lawyer do? He'd represent me, wouldn't he? He would go to court on my behalf, and he would represent me before the judge and the jury and the courtroom. Even if I wasn't in the court physically, as my representative, he would be representing me in the courtroom. Last week was the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and Paul Kingsley and I were there. Paul was there more than I was. But what were we doing? We were representing this congregation. None of you were there, but you were represented by Paul and by myself. Whenever Paul got up to speak at the front, he was representing our congregation. Do you see what a representative does? It, it represents it. It, it stands in the place of someone else. It stands there and, and it represents that person to someone else. And the high priest, a little bit like a lawyer, he represented God's people to God. Every time he walked into the tabernacle, every time he walked into the holy place, it was like he was going in and, and representing the people before God. How do we know that? Well, it's a little bit cryptic, but it's not too difficult to understand. We know it by what he wore. Uh, it's almost a year ago since I was ordained. 
Uh, if you were there, you know the Timmy trumpet was blasting in Ormore Park. Um, and you'll have seen me wear a suit, which you may not have seen since. But what's really interesting is that whenever the high priest was ordained, they actually put clothes on him as part of his ordination. They dressed him, they, they put on his clerical garments, if you like. And we read about those clerical garments going on in Leviticus chapter 8. But in verse chapters, in verse 7, there's something very important they put on, which shows us that Aaron was to represent the people before God. Have a look at verse 7. We're told that Moses put the tunic on Aaron, tied the sash around him, clothed him with a robe, and then it's the last one, and put the ephod on him. The ephod. Now you're here and you're thinking, Marty, what on earth? is an ephod and i'll have to be honest with you i don't think i could describe it because it doesn't give us a very good description in the bible but what we do know about the ephod is that it had two shoulder pieces one of the things that the bible makes very clear is that it had two shoulder pieces and on those shoulder pieces do you know what was engraved on them the names of god's people if you have a look at your handout you can see that from exodus 28 God gives the instructions of what the ephod is to be like. And he says this, take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, the the names of the leaders of the 12 tribes of God's people. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. Do you see what he's to do? He's to wear the names of God's people on his shoulders. He's to wear these stones on his shoulders with the names of God's people on them. And did you catch at the very end what they're to be? They're to be like a memorial before the Lord. A memorial, think of a memorial. You might be going for a walk somewhere and and you see a little bench and there's a little plaque on it and it's in memory of someone. It's a memorial. We see that bench and we sit on it And we read those names and and we remember those people if we know them. Or maybe we go to the cenotaph on on Remembrance Day and and we have the cenotaph, the the large pillar, and it's got all of the names of the people on it. And we go there and, and we see that and we remember those who've died in the great wars. Well, what God says is that as Aaron wears the names of God's people on his shoulders, it is going to be like a memorial. It's going to place before God the people of God. Every time he goes into the tabernacle, it's like he's going to remind God who his people are and his promises to them and and their situations and who they are. Is that making sense? Does that make sense to you? He's going to represent the people of God to God. And folks, this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does in heaven right now. We are united to him. We are his people. And as he sits at the right hand of the Father, it's like he has our names on his shoulders. As the Father looks at the Son, he remembers us. As the Father looks at the Son, he remembers us, his people. Right now in heaven as Jesus sits beside the Father in heaven. Every time the Father looks at him, he sees us. He's reminded of us. 
Think how incredible that is just now. Think how tiny we are. Think how insignificant we are. In the world's eyes, we are nothing. But yet, what do we know? We know that as the Father looks at the Son, every time He looks at the Son, He is reminded of us. We are put on His mind. We're brought to His remembrance. Folks, maybe you're going through a difficult time just now. Maybe you've got situations going on in your life just now which you're struggling to deal with. Maybe you've got family problems, marriage problems. Maybe you've got money problems. Maybe you've got health problems. And maybe you wonder, does God know about these things? Does God know what's going on in my life? Does God know about my situation? Does he really know? I'm so small and insignificant. Does he really know about me? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, he does. And how can you be sure? Because you have a high priest in heaven who's representing you. You have a high priest in heaven who is continually reminding the Father of you and your situation. Isn't that amazing? You're always on his mind because Jesus represents you. God has not forgotten about you tonight. God will never forget about you tonight because your high priest represents you. I don't know about you, but as I studied that this week, that really encouraged me. In fact, it just has has really blown my mind in many ways. The Lord Jesus is representing me to the Father. I'll never be forgotten by him. It's good news. Okay, then that's the the main responsibility. But then the the high priest, he has two main jobs that the others don't have. And the first job we we looked at in part last week, one of the jobs that only the high priest could do was make the atoning sacrifice for the sin of God's God's people. So it was on the day of atonement, and we had that last week. He he took the, the, the animals and he sacrificed them. He sacrificed the goat on behalf of God's people for their sins. But that was actually only half of the job. You see, the the high priest made this sacrifice outside the tent. But then do you remember what he did? He took the blood of the animal and he went into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkled the blood there. He made the sacrifice outside the tent. Then he went into the Holy of Holies and then he sprinkled the blood there. What was he doing there? He was going into God's presence and he was showing God the evidence that the sacrifice had been made. He was showing God the evidence that blood had been spilled for the sin of God's people. It's a serious thing. He's presenting the evidence, if you like. And that points us to Jesus. This week I have learned uh, a great deal from a man called Stephen Charnock who lived... (laughs) Uh, he died in, six, in 1680, before the Battle of the Boyne, 10 years before this man had died. That's how old he was. And he was a, a, a theologian. He was a, an English Presbyterian minister. He actually ministered in Dublin from uh, 1656 to 1660. And he wrote a, a brilliant sermon on the high priestly ministry of Jesus. 
And whenever he looks at the Day of Atonement, I've written it on your handout so you can see, but he sees this pointing to Jesus in three different ways. First, he sees the sacrificing of the animal outside the tent being like Christ's death. Christ dying outside the city walls of Jerusalem. The sacrifice was made. That's how Charnock sees it. So he sees the sacrifice of the animal representing the sacrifice of, of Christ. And then what do we see? He sees the entrance into the Holy of Holies by the priest being like Christ's ascension into heaven. Do you remember from when we looked at the tabernacle? Do you remember what was embroidered on the curtain of the Holy of Holies? Do you remember? The angels. It was symbolic of heaven. It was to remind people that, that God's real presence was found in heaven. And Charnock says, whenever Christ ascended into heaven, it was like the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. And then Charnock says, just like the high priest showed the blood to God, what does Christ do in heaven? He shows his wounds. He shows his hands and his feet and his side. He forever presents the truth that he has been sacrificed for the sin of others. He forever presents the evidence that sacrifice has been made for sin. I always wondered why Christ, why his wounds were still there. I always wondered why after the resurrection they weren't healed up, why, why, they, why he could show them to Thomas, why he ascended into heaven with them still there. It's sort of like the high priest in the Old Testament, he could present the evidence of the sacrifice to God the Father. And if that's all a bit complicated, think about this. I don't know about you, but there are times whenever I think to myself, how can God forgive me? Ever have those times? Ever have those times when you, you're just confronted with your own sinfulness? Confronted with your own unholiness? Confronted with your own horrible thoughts and your own horrible words and your own horrible actions? And you think to yourself, how can God forgive me? How can he do it? The answer is it's very easy for him to do it. It's very easy for him to do it. Because whenever we pray to him, and whenever we ask for his forgiveness, do you know what he does? He looks at the son beside him, and he sees the son's wounds, and he knows that the sacrifice has been made for our forgiveness. He knows that Christ has died for our atonement or our at-one-ment. The evidence of the sacrifice is always before him. And so whenever we pray and we ask for his forgiveness, it's easy for him to grant because the evidence of Christ's sacrifice is before him. It's always before him. Maybe tonight you're here and, and you've been a Christian for a long time but you're just entrapped by sin. Maybe it's a, an inherent sin that you just keep sinning over and over again or, or maybe it's something new that's come on the scene and it's surprised you. you. You can't believe you've started to sin in this way. And maybe you feel so convicted or, or, or you find that so difficult to take. You, you are questioning, how can God forgive me? He can forgive you because Christ died for you on the cross and because right now he's displaying 
the wounds to the Father. Folks, if you confess your sin, there is forgiveness for you because Christ has died for you and is acting as your high priest for you. Let's take a look very quickly then at the last thing that the high priest did. And I'm cheating a little bit because this isn't in the book of Leviticus, so um, you can shout at me later on for diverting to another book. But in the book of Exodus, and we didn't cover this when we did Exodus, there was another unique job that Aaron and the high priest had to do. And that job was to burn incense every day in the temple, in the tabernacle. He was to go in in the morning and offer incense, and then he was to go in in the evening and offer incense. And he was to make sure that incense was always burning in the holy place, always drifting in to the holy place. In Exodus 30, verse 7, it says this, Aaron must put fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight so that the incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. Aaron is to burn incense continually in the holy place before the Lord. Now, what does this mean? And what has this got to do with Jesus? I don't know if you remember, but whenever we looked at the tabernacle, do you remember what incense in the Bible represents? Do you remember? divine has got it, well done, divine. It represents prayer. Throughout the whole Bible, every time we see incense being burned, it's to represent the prayers of God's people to God. And here's what the high priest Aaron was doing. He was either doing one of two things. Either as he burned the incense, he himself was praying for God's people, or else as he burned the incense, he was symbolically representing to God the prayers of God's people. It's all connected with prayers. And what does this tell us about Jesus? And this, th- this is the bit that, that really blew my mind. What it tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is doing one of two things or doing both. One thing that he might be doing is presenting our prayers to the Father. I don't know about you, but I very often feel that my prayers are pathetic ever feel like that? You pray and, 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 and you feel so mumbled and jumbled and, and you don't even know if what you're praying for is a good thing to pray for. And, and you pray and you think, I am just rubbish at praying. Well, I do anyway. That's how I think a lot of the time. Well, here's what Jesus is doing. He's taking those prayers and he's listening to them. And then he is presenting those prayers to the Father. He listens to our prayers. And like the priest give the incense in the tabernacle, so Jesus is offering our prayers to the Father. He's presenting them to the Father. Is he rephrasing them? I really hope so. Is he taking out the stuff that's been silly for me to pray for, like a filter? I I hope he is. But no matter what he's doing, Whenever we pray, he, he takes our feeble prayers, our prayers that we think are not particularly good or, 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 or proper or whatever. And what does he do as our high priest? He, he represents them. He presents them to the Father. He takes our prayers and presents them to the Father. I don't know about you, but that gives me confidence to pray those babbled prayers which I think are rubbish. It gives me confidence not to be afraid to to pray to God and say what's on my heart and say what I want to say and not be worried. Because what do I know? I know that I have a high priest who will present 
my prayers to the Father in the right way. That's one thing that Jesus may be doing. And I think he is. I think he's doing both of these things. But maybe he's doing the other thing, or maybe he's doing this as well. And, and again, this just blows my mind too. Maybe Jesus is actually praying for us. It's interesting, isn't it? In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for us. And right now, as our high priest, it seems that Jesus is praying for us even now. There's a number of places in the New Testament we're told that. In Romans, we're told that he lives to intercede for us. In Hebrews, we're told that as well. He makes intercession on our behalf. Folks, Jesus, as our high priest, is praying for us. I don't know about you, but, but that staggers me. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. As he watches you, as he sees what's going on in your life, as he knows what's going on in your heart, as he knows what's going on in your mind, as he knows all of the things that you're facing, he prays for you. I don't know about you, but, but that really encourages me. And I encouraged uh, a number of theologians throughout the years. And I've got a couple of quotes there just to, to hammer home just how amazing this is. I've got one from um, Louis Burkov in his Systematic Theology. And he says this, It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Isn't that amazing? The things that you can't even conceive of praying for yourself, he's praying for you. The spiritual needs you don't even know you have. He's praying for those. He's praying that you will come out victorious at the end. He's interceding for us. How should that impact us? How should that make us feel? How should that affect us in our day-to-day -day lives? I think Robert Murray McShane puts it very well, and I put that quote for you too. He says this, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. You know, if Jesus was in the prayer room just now, and you knew that he was in there praying for you, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that stir your heart? Wouldn't that encourage you? Wouldn't that give you strength to keep going? Well, distance makes no difference. That's exactly what he's doing. He's praying for you. What is Jesus doing now? He's not having a nap. He's not sitting backstage waiting to return in the finale and wrap up history. No, right now in heaven, Jesus is serving as our high priest. That's what he's doing. He's presenting us to the Father making sure we're not forgotten, making sure that we're known, making sure that, that everything that's going on in our life, God knows about. 
Not only that, he's presenting his wounds. When we sin, when we blow it, when we feel that we can never be forgiven, Christ is there saying to the Father, I've paid for that. I've died for that. That sin, I shed my blood for. You can forgive him, Father. You can forgive her, Father. That sin has been paid for. And what else is he doing? He's praying for us. He's praying for us and presenting our prayers. I hope that you're encouraged by this. I hope that you appreciate what Christ is doing now. But what I really hope is that as you leave and go about your daily life, that you'll remember these things. That the next time you you worry that God's forgotten you, that you'll look up and you'll see Jesus at his right hand representing you. The next time you blow it and you feel so ashamed and guilty that you'll look up and see him there, the one who died for your forgiveness. That whenever you feel like you can't pray or don't know what to pray or feel like your prayers are rubbish, that you'll pray anyway knowing that Jesus will present those prayers to the Father. And whenever you feel that there's stuff going on in your life and you don't know how to pray for yourself, that you'll take great courage and comfort knowing that Christ is praying for you. We have a great high priest. And my hope is that this delights you and thrills you as it does me. Let's pray together. Father, in many ways, this seems too good to be true. We, we, we really struggle to get our heads around it. That right now, the, the risen, ascended Christ is serving as our high priest. Lord, we thank you for him. Thank you that whenever we pray in his name, you hear us. Thank you that his prayers are effective for us and will, will help us to live this Christian life. Thank you that he died for us and is continually presenting the wounds to you, Father, on our behalf. Oh Lord, tomorrow and the next day and the next day as we, as we live out our normal everyday lives, may we delight that Christ is our great high priest. Help us to love Christ more, we pray. In Jesus' name.